0: you can find us at Clever Girl Finance. Okay, so let's get into today's episode. So on today's episode, I talked to Mrs. Miller, an incredible personal finance expert and also a writer for Clever Girl Finance, where she talks about what she does with her money now that she has paid off her debt and how she's being intentional um, with saving money and also how she's navigated wealth guilt. This is a really great episode because she's just really candid about saving and just what happens on the other side of debt and how she's navigating it. So I hope you guys enjoy listening to this episode. Hey, Mrs. Miller, I am so excited to have you join us on the Clever Girls No podcast to talk about what to do with money when you finally get to the point where you can save a lot of it. But before we get into the episode, I'd love for you to tell everyone who you are, what you do, all that good stuff.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Bola. I'm super excited to be here. Uh, So yeah, I'm Mrs. Miller and I am the person behind Miller's on Fire. I'm most active on Instagram, but uh, it's been a little quiet there. Um, So I am a Latina first generation college graduate uh, and I'm a daughter of an immigrant. I'm also someone who uh, in her 20s basically spent her life living paycheck to paycheck, even though I was making a pretty good income. So uh, that's a little bit about me. I was born and raised in the Bronx. Uh, I left New York for a little bit, but now I am back in New York City.
0: Awesome. So we're going to start at the very beginning of your financial journey. And you started that financial journey in 2016. And when you started, you had debt, right? And um, I would love for you to share what kind of debt did you have? How much did you pay off? And how did you even get motivated to want to pay off your debt?
1: Yeah. So um, I'm going to go back one year, which was 2015. I came across this like clickbaity article about a group of people, actually, it was a couple who had retired in their 30s in order to travel the world. And I saw this article, I read it, um, I sent it to my then boyfriend. I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. And that was the end of the story. So now I'm going to fast forward back to 2016. Um, My job, uh, I really enjoy the work that I do and the people that I worked with, but my supervisor ended up leaving and we got new management and things started to shift in a job that I really loved uh, from being a really great place to work to being a little bit toxic. And so as the weeks went on, the months went on, I just thought like, wow, nothing is going to change. We have (laughs) management from not such a good place. <laughs> so it really became something that I wanted to do, you know, I I really felt stuck. And I realized that I it wasn't as easy as just quitting my job. I work in a specialized field and realized, wow, like I don't have a lot of options right now and it didn't feel like a good place. So I found that article that I had sent to my boyfriend and read it and sort of took a weekend and went down this rabbit hole to figure out how in the world are people retiring in their 30s? What can I do? And that was where the journey sort of started. Um, Now you asked a little bit about debt. One of the first things that I noticed was that I took a look at what my income was and looked at what my basic living expenses was. And I realized that I had a whole bunch of money left over or I should have, and I didn't. So I was trying to figure out where was all that money going to. Um In 2016, I was already married, uh, and my husband had a car note of about maybe $5,100, and then I had some student loans left. Um, I was fortunate enough to decide to go to a community college for my first two years of college, so the student loans came just from the two years, uh, the last two years of university, and I only had about about $3,100, $3,200 left. So we didn't have a whole ton of debt, but I think like most people, it just never really occurred to me that I could make more than the minimum payment. And so I said, well, I don't have a lot of room in my budget. This is what I thought at the time. I said, but if we didn't have to pay this car payment and this student loan, I could begin saving some money. And that was sort of where it started.
0: And, you know, sometimes it's just sometimes you just need that eye opener to make you realize, wait a minute, I need to focus on my finances so I can have options. And for you, it was the toxic work environment that made you want to just, you know, change things to give yourself those options. And I think that it's really great that you, you know, got to that point and you decided to focus on paying off your debt. So one of the things that you talk about that you're open about when it comes to paying off the debt that you had, you and your husband had, is that you earned a good income. And I was wondering if you don't mind sharing how much you earned, because people are always curious. They want to know, especially when we when we do these podcast episodes.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I thought it was really... Important for me to share as much of my numbers as possible because I think it kind of gives people some perspective. Mm-hmm. In 20 my in 2016, my husband was still in school. So um I, I'm actually the breadwinner in my family or I make more than my husband and my family even now. But at that point, I was really making more than him because he was in school. He was finishing up his degree and I was making about one hundred thousand dollars. But we were a family of two. So uh, for a party of two, we were making about one hundred thousand dollars. And, you know, again, one of the things that really occurred to me was. When I took a look at what my income was for the month and I looked at what the basic expenses are, you know, food, accommodation, transportation, things like that, uh, cell phone bill. I realized that once I subtracted that from the income, (laughs) supposedly I had some money left over. Um, And it was like at that moment that I realized, okay, it's saying I have X amount of dollars left over, (laughs) but what in the world is going on? So I really had to come to the realization that I was living paycheck to paycheck. I was earning $100,000. Yet, if I missed maybe, maybe not one, but if I missed two paychecks, I was going to be in a whole lot of trouble. Um, And I Mm -hmm. think that there's this like misconception, like the more money you make, Everything will be okay. Yeah, that's not always so not true, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's not necessarily the case.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And just to provide folks with additional context, you're in the New York City area, and a lot of people hear hundred thousand dollars and they're like, "Wow, that's so much money." But I think depending on where you live <laughs> um, and the the taxes you have to pay. Um, that can be significant in terms of how much of, how much is taken out of your income. So just some additional context. So based on this income, you now got to the point where you've paid off this debt. You had extra money at the end of each paycheck when you paid your bills. What compelled you to focus on saving now that you paid off your debts instead of just spending and basically improving your lifestyle? Because that would have been really easy to do in New York.
1: Yeah. So it never occurred to me. And I will say that back in, uh, in early 2016, we were living in California. So I was born and raised in New York City. And um, in 2009, 2008, I moved to California. I met and married my husband. I purchased a home. Um, and so in 2016, in early 2016, we were living in California. Now it's still a high cost of living area. Um, and we later moved to New York. Um, at the end of 2016, we ended up moving to New York. Um, so there's, you know, even though we were in California, it was so a high cost of living area. Mm-hmm. And then moving to New York, we didn't do any. <laughs> we did worse actually (laughs) when it comes to like a really high cost of living area Um, so one of the things was as I began to sort of see what people were doing when it came to like retiring early and becoming work optional I realized that they they all had one thing in common is that they were investing and this is something that was so foreign to me, though, you know, they kept using terms like build wealth. And I was like, what in the world is that? Like only the rich <laughs> could do that. Uh, only people with a lot of money can invest because these weren't terms that I grew up listening to or hearing. It wasn't something that I thought was available to me. And so. My first thought was okay, if we could get rid of this uh, student loan, if we could get rid of this car payment, that is the money that we could use to begin investing. Now, we were really fortunate that during that time um, that I, it was early 2016, we had, you know, a third paycheck Friday. Um, We got a little bit of a tax return. So it only took us a few months to pay off that $8,000 worth of debt. And so I know that's kind of a really privileged kind of situation, but that was what happened. Instead of using that third paycheck as extra income, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, I really focused on paying down as much as the debt as possible. But I knew that even with those extra payments that I no longer had to pay for student loan and card note, it wasn't it going to be able to accelerate the path to wealth in the way that I wanted. And so it was at that time that I had to take a look at, okay, how much money am I really spending? And is there any other way that I could increase the amount that I could invest? And that was when I kind of got motivated. Now it took me a while because again, like, even though I could see this is how much money I had left over, I had a huge spending problem. Um, and I had a closet and a whole shoe case (laughs) to prove that.
0: (laughs) I think that it's one thing to, to earn this income, and a completely different thing to be able to get yourself into the mindset where you're leveraging your income to actually build wealth. I personally think that earning a high income doesn't mean much, doesn't mean anything in terms of financial wellness, unless you are intentionally um, assigning those dollars a job to do for you. Otherwise what happens with so many high earners and people who earn much more money than you, it ends up slipping through your fingers. I remember on the podcast, um, one of the earlier episodes, um, I had interviewed an accountant who I believe she had filed a multi-million dollar, like tens of millions of dollars tax return. And the individual whose tax return that she had filed was living paycheck to paycheck, right? So again, it's not about the, the income. That is great. It's great to have the big income, right? But if you're not being intentional, what does it really mean other than being able to buy things for yourself? And I really love that even though, Things like wealth building, et cetera, were not things that you were raised discussing or learning about, um, that you were still able to be intentional and learn what it meant and learn how it could improve your life knowing that you had this opportunity where you were earning this decent income. So I love that.
1: Oh, in my mind, I thought I was good with money. And my definition of being good with money was that I didn't have credit card debt, right? And I had an Excel spreadsheet. So that was my definition of good with money. And so there was a lot of like financial advice that I just didn't really connect with because they were like, oh, you have debt and credit card loans. And I was like, oh, I'm good. <laughs> like, I don't have credit <laughs> card debt. Um, but it was I was missing this piece because it wasn't also that I wasn't saving anything. But for the amount of money that I was making, I was saving, you know, $25 per paycheck. I was putting a little bit into my 401k, um, but I just didn't have a whole lot to show for it. And one thing that happened was um, I received from the Social Security Administration, and I don't know if it's depending on how many years you worked or your age, but it showed me from like my very first job when I was 15 until the present day, how much money I had made every year, right? It was the earnings report. And you can just go to the social security administration website and get Mm -hmm. it for free. And it was like, wow, like I made that much money. And then I looked at my savings account and I was like, I really don't have a whole lot to show for it. Like, where did all that money go? And that was like, these little things kept happening to make me aware about what type of the financial situation I was in. Because as you said, sometimes we think that, okay, well, if you don't have debt, right, you could be debt-free, but you could still even at that point be living paycheck to paycheck if your expenses are really high.
0: Yep, and when you are living paycheck to paycheck, even if your expenses are not high, but you're living paycheck to paycheck, even if you have no debt, It just takes one unplanned life circumstance to throw you into debt uh, or back into debt if you've paid it off. So, um, yeah. So, so let's talk about just, you get to this point, you've paid off your debts and you're like, okay, I'm going to learn about wealth building. What did you do to focus on saving first? Like saving money, you had this extra income. How much were you saving every month? Like, what was your focus?
1: So one of the things that I kept reading about was how people were also reducing their taxable income. And That was something that as a high income earner, I had never really thought about. And so the first place that I turned to to try to reduce my taxable income was contributions to um, my thrift savings plan. So thrift savings plan is just available to federal employees, also the military, but it's similar to a 401k or some people have a 403b. And so I decided to begin to contribute a little bit more to my 401k or to my thrift savings plan. Now, what was interesting was that although I increased my contributions to my thrift savings plan, my paycheck did not change that much because what happened was that the taxes that were taken out was a little bit less. Now, it's not a dollar for dollar exchange, right? So it's not like if you put a dollar into your retirement account, you're going to be saving a dollar in taxes. But it was, you know, being from California at that point, like California taxes were pretty high, as New Yorkers also know. And so I realized that, wow, okay, I am getting rewarded by saving for my retirement plan, and also paying a little bit less in taxes. And so that was like the first thing that I did was begin contributions to my 401k. And for me, that really helped me because it didn't give me it eliminated the step of having to decide what to do once my paycheck came into my bank account, right? (laughs) I -hmm. didn't have to decide it, it (laughs) automatically came out. And that was it.
0: That's such a good point that you make. You know, a lot of people feel, well, you know, if I contribute to my employer's retirement plan, that means I'm going to get less in my paycheck. But when you run the numbers, you use an online calculator, whatever it might be, you realize that if you you start incrementally, let's say you say I'm going to do 5%, because it's a pre-tax deduction to your employer's plan you'll find that the difference in your paycheck is really minimal post-taxes and, you know, You will realize that, wait a minute, I can actually contribute more. And then you can just try to contribute incrementally over time until you get to the point where you're maxing out. And by that point, you may not even miss the money. Like, depending on your income, it might just be a few hundred dollars difference in your paycheck. And, you know, if you're interested in learning more about reducing your taxable income, Mrs. Miller actually wrote a really awesome article on the Clerical Finance website that I will we will put the link in the show notes for you to go check out where she breaks down exactly how she does it. And it's just so insightful because a lot of times what you think it's going to be, like you think it's going to be a huge difference in your paycheck. That's really not what, that's really not what it's going to be. And I also love the fact that you know, when you're contributing to an employer's plan, you don't have to think about it. You don't have to debate it. Like you said, it just comes out automatically. So you are saving. And if there is a match, there's an added plus of you getting this free money from an employer. And all you have to do is set up the online thing, fill out the paperwork, opt in to do this thing to save um, for your future self.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the things also that I did not realize that we all use the term like saving for retirement, but it wasn't until, like, I realized exactly what a 401k did <laughs> that I was like, oh, this is investing. And yes. so many people <laughs> will begin, you know, they'll say, oh, I want to start investing. Like, I see that you're investing. And my first question is, are you contributing to a 401k plan? Because that is one of the easiest ways. You want to begin to invest take a look at the retirement accounts that might be available to you. So you may not have a 401k, but maybe a Roth IRA, or if you're self-employed, right? There's all these different type of retirement accounts that might be available to you. And it is one of the simplest ways to begin investing.
0: Yes. And like you said, it's automatic. So low barrier to entry. The money comes straight out of your paycheck. You don't even get to think about it. And once that money starts getting deducted, you stop missing it because it's not there for you to debate.
1: (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly.
0: So you started by saving money in your retirement accounts. Um, outside of that retirement savings, I'm assuming you got to the point where you were maxing it out or contributing um, you know the most um, to the account. What else were you doing outside of retirement savings to then put aside this you know additional money that you had to spare? Yeah.
1: So eventually my husband and I got to a point where we were able, you know, we did it incrementally. We kept doing it until it was going to hurt. But what was happening on the
0: other side. <laughs> I love you said until it's going to hurt.
1: Yes. <laughs> I do believe that this is true. Like, I think it's one of those things where people will say, oh, I can't do 5%. And I'm like, well, try six. (laughs) Don't do five, try six and let's see what happens. Because I think it does take a little bit of adjusting, but I think people are more resourceful than they think if they're forced to be in that situation. And so um, what started happening was, okay, I began contributing a little bit more, a little bit more into retirement plans, right? The workplace retirement plans. But then on the other side, I really began reducing expenses and I became more conscious of my spending and I became more intentional with my spending. And I knew that I was in this toxic work environment. And if I wanted To leave that job or give myself the freedom to leave that job and prepare myself for um, having, you know, being able to take a few uh, months off of work that I needed to have like this safety and this buffer in my in my spending or in my budget, but I wasn't going to be able to do that if I kept spending in the way that I was. And so I began taking a look at every time I went to Target, every time I even went to the dollar store, you know, you go to the dollar store (laughs) thinking you're going to pick up three things. And then all of a sudden you spend 20 bucks. Right. So it's not always the only the obvious things. It was also the amount of times that we were eating out. It's not about eliminating eating out. But did we really need to both eat out for lunch? Did we both need to order takeout food? You know, like it was all of these things. So. The 401k contributions was a great place, but I had to look at where my money was going. And once we began reducing expenses, it freed up money to save and then to begin investing. Um, And by 2016, we were in New York City. Our living expenses was even higher. But at that point, or I should say our rent was even higher than it was in California. But by that point, our living expenses overall was so much less because we just became super focused on only spending money on the things that we valued and that mattered to us.
0: And that's really important, you know, as you are saving and investing and trying to figure out how to cut your expenses, really thinking about is this expenditure, is this, you know, whatever you're spending money on, is it of value to you? So you contributed to your retirement accounts, um, you were saving cash, and then you started investing. Do you mind sharing on average how much you were saving a month? Um, So... We,
1: we did our 401ks, which is, you know, at that time was like $19,000 a year for each of us. And then um, we also opened up, I think I opened up my Roth IRA first, which is about a $6,000 contribution, um, a $6,000 contribution every year. And then we were able to do that also for my husband. And again, really what made the difference was my husband was now working full time, Um, and he is not a six figure earner, um, combined our, uh, our income at the time now being in New York was a little bit different. It was maybe one hundred and sixty. but again, that was for two people. So we were making about $160,000. If you live in New York City, like you're not paying just federal taxes, you're paying state taxes, you're paying city taxes. So our take home pay wasn't a lot, but we got to the point where we were living off of 50% of our income and we were saving about, um, what is it, maybe $5,500 a month, but it didn't start off that way, right? At first it was, you know, okay, we can save $1,000 a month, 2000 3000 and slowly but surely as as our salary increased, we um, didn't increase our living expenses and we were able to have a nice cash cushion. Um, And I will say in 2020 though, we increased what our cash reserve was. Um, So we went from like six months of living expenses We're up to nine right now, but I think a good place that I feel comfortable is 12 and that money is not really earning interest, right? It's not about growth. It's just about safety and, um, With the 401ks, with the Roth IRAs, and also we had available to us a health savings account, we were also contributing to that. So I know that this is a lot of money for most people, but this is where we, um, this was how we were able to do it, was really reduce and get laser focused on our spending and I think sometimes people think of it as deprivation. And I will say, Bola, we don't feel deprived at all. And from 2016 until now, we have traveled. We have continued to do the things that we love. We just cut out the things that were kind of taking time and money away from us. Um, and we never really realized it.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I think that what you and your husband have done together with your income is amazing. Um, You know, you consider yourself high income earners. um, But I will say that given the city that you live in, there are many people who earn a ton of money um, who save zero. Um, Just because of lifestyle lifestyle creep, um, high expenses, the things that they buy. And the fact that you and your husband are able to max out um, employer plans and open your own separate retirement accounts and max out health savings accounts and um, save nine months of your living expenses in New York City and working towards 12 months, that's a big deal (laughs) on your income. So I I would definitely tell you to acknowledge that and own that. Um, And I I guess I'm also curious to know, you know, given your background, where you come from did you or do you feel any guilt or feel judged by, you know, about your earnings compared to the people you have around you? And how do you manage this, especially since you didn't grow up in a background where wealth building was something that was discussed? And now you are in this space where you're earning a really great income and you're a high income earner. But you know, obviously you still have everybody around you. Oh. <laughs> um,
1: Bola, this is such a great point. And this is something that I write about on the blog. Um, And the first time that I felt this feeling, I didn't have the word for it, but now I kind of refer to it as wealth guilt. Um, I was just about to cross over into making six figures. And so the leap was, I think I was going from like 94000 or maybe 96000 to $100,000. Like it wasn't like a whole, it wasn't a big difference, but there was something about crossing into that six figure mark that really made me uneasy And I, instead of being really excited about it, I felt really guilty. Um, Now, there was some talk during that time about like the one percenters. (laughs) And so I was like, am I now part of the one percent? Of course, no, not really. But uh, there was just something, you know, I think um, particularly if you never really, grow up knowing anybody who's wealthy or or who has money, sometimes the conversations about people who do have money as they're in some way bad, right? They're in some way greedy. They're in some way stingy or something like that. Um, I wondered now whether or not that was was what people were going to think of me. And I thought about my parents and how I was making more money than they had ever made in their entire life. And I didn't have any kids. Um, I did actually, I started making six figures before I got married to my husband. So I was like, I wasn't even married. And I felt this overwhelming sense of unhappiness, I guess, or guilt, really. Um, I don't know, maybe survivor's guilt, because I knew that there were so many people who were hardworking and still struggling to, to make it. Um, and even though I was living paycheck to paycheck, I didn't worry about not paying my bills. I was able to pay my bills and have a lot of money to spend on fun things. And so there was this like overwhelming sense of guilt. And I thought, um, instead of being happy about the, the, the raise, I felt, guilty about where i had come or where i had arrived
0: hmm. that's not uncommon um especially when you don't you you come from a background where you're you're making more money than your parents or than your friends or than you know people around you and you're now stepping into this new space and then you feel the guilt because you know what the struggle is for people who don't earn as much you've seen your parents work really hard and One thing I would tell you is that when you are in that position where you are earning money and you're being intentional about your money, you are in a position to have impact. Impact on the lives of your family, impact in your community, because your money allows you to expend your resources in a more powerful way that can actually change people's lives, right? It's almost like if we're all in this little space where none of us have money, we can talk about the things that we want to do, but who can we really help? How can we really change our lives, the lives of our family, our own lives, if we don't have the resource to do it, the financial resource to do it? We can just talk about it, but we can't really do much until we're able to figure out how to earn and then earn more, and then be intentional. And so when you're in that space where you are earning and you are being intentional, you are in that position to have that impact. And feeling how you feel is normal. there's also the flip side where people will shame you for doing well. And I have been there, um, especially in the personal finance community. I hate to say it, but it does exist where people will say all kinds of things. Oh yes, you know, there's, I remember very vividly when I shared my 100K savings story, um, I did a radio interview. I remember the radio interview was just about, how did I say, what were the steps I took? And during the commercial break, he put me on mute and he didn't realize that I wasn't muted. So I could still hear the conversation in the studio. And he told his co-host that I call BS on that. There's no wow. way she was able to save that without a sugar daddy, without rich parents. I call BS on that. And they had this whole conversation about, yeah, it's so impossible, blah, 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 whatever, you know. And then we go back into the, into the, outside of commercial break, into the show. And I almost wanted to hang up the phone, but I was like, you know what? This interview is not for them. It's for the people who are learning something from me. And I feel like sometimes as a woman, as a woman of color, people may minimize what you accomplish or they may not want to believe it or they may want to attribute your success to other things, other Mm -hmm. reasons. But then they're so quick to celebrate oh yes, this guy did that, or this celebrity spent 100K on that necklace. Wow, amazing, I love you, do your thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think sometimes you just have to accept it for what it is, but don't, don't ever be embarrassed or ashamed or guilty of what you have accomplished, especially when you know you worked hard for it. That's one thing I've learned. Um, you've worked hard for it. And the fact that you're here sharing your story, sharing what you did, you're helping people. The fact that you're earning that income, you're able to help your parents, right? Imagine if you didn't have it. All you would be able to tell that your parents is, okay, I hope you're okay. I can't help you, but you know... Bye.
1: <laughs> yeah. And this brings up like a really good point. Like, I, you know, I felt really guilty about earning that money. And I think that part of that too was at the time I was being a little bit, fr- not a little bit, I was being pretty frivolous with my money. Like, I wasn't being responsible. But when I began to understand the power and like the privilege that I had to do exactly what you've just said. Bola, which was not just to secure a financial future for me and my husband, but and then how that was going to affect and uh, the the people around me, the people who I loved, and you know everything from like I have an emergency fund for my husband and I, like we have an emergency fund, but I also have an emergency fund for my family, right? Because I know that if I get a call at two in the morning, which has happened, about a blown out tire. I have a certain amount of money um, put in that pot that I can say, here you go. Um, And you know how it is with family. It's always like, oh, I'll pay you back. But I know in my mind that if they cannot or if they don't, that that money is there separated for them. And it's, again, about being incredibly intentional about the power, you know, making the most of what you have and the power behind that. Um, right now, my husband and I's journey is set. I'm comfortable. We we have a plan, regardless of what happens. We have set our si- ourselves up to such a point that I don't worry about us. But now it's like, okay, wait a minute. I could use investing tools to secure a different finance or to change the f- the financial narrative of my whole family's, like, legacy, right? And this is where we talk about, like, generational wealth building. And, you know, one of the things that I stopped doing a few years ago is instead of, you know, buying Christmas gifts or birthday gifts in the traditional sense, so toys and clothes and things like that, like, I opened up investment accounts for each of my nieces and nephews, And they know I love that. that. Yeah. And I, and they know that from me, what they are going to get is a card with the balance of their investment accounts. (laughs) So, and they like it. You know, it's for a little kid. It's like, wow, I have a hundred dollars. I got 200, 300. So they get really excited about that. And it's, you know, I can, with a $50 contribution, a $25 contribution, a $75 contribution that money grows because it is being invested.
0: That is so powerful. That is so, so powerful. You're doing amazing. I love that. I love just the fact that the intention behind, I paid off my debt. I have this extra money. How can I focus on aggressively building wealth and impacting my family and just changing the narrative for for yourself? And I, I just I just love that. So you should be incredibly proud of everything that you have accomplished
1: thank you so much bola and i will say you know i i I love your story too because you have been open about like liking luxury items and things like that and and yes and it was for me actually you know i think it comes from like this scarcity mindset because when i i never would pay a hundred dollars for a pair of jeans like are you insane Two, three, $400 for a handbag, get out of here. (laughs) But you know what happens? I remember when we were moving from California to New York and we had to completely downsize, okay? So I'm talking about a three-bedroom house to a little shoebox of an apartment, like 400 square feet. Like, so I had to get rid of everything, And we had a couple garage sales. And at the end, I was like, okay, we just don't have any time to sell all this stuff. And I literally had a friend back up their pickup truck and take all of the stuff, aka money, and just take it to Goodwill. (laughs) And it was like that realization of like all of that stuff used to be money. (laughs) And it was like, oh, my goodness. But you know what happened? By that point, we had already... Um, been doing good when it came to saving and increasing our investments that when we got to New York, um, I think it was maybe a year into it, I kind of got into luxury handbags and I saved for it and I purchased it and I had not one ounce of guilt about buying <laughs> it because I knew that I didn't have, you know, 50 handbags that I never used that maybe i Purchase from like Marshalls or Ross or TJ Maxx. <laughs> but I was like, okay, I got two handbags and I want to buy this one and I'm going to save for it and I'm going to buy it. And that's the end of it. Um, and that's kind of the way it, it, it went because I had, it, there was like this idea that if you spent a lot of money, then you were wasteful. And some people might say that still, right? They might be like, oh gosh, I don't even want to know the brand of bag she bought or how much she spent (laughs) for it. And you probably would judge me. But I think it's about if you have a plan to do the things that you love and to buy the things that you want to buy, as long as everything else is taken care of. I didn't say, I want to buy this bag, but I'm not going to save for retirement or I'm not going to save in my invest, you know, I'm not going to invest that is one thing, but I didn't have to sacrifice what my future goal planning was in order to make that purchase.
0: Mm -hmm. And, you know, the truth is that there's a lot of accolade, you know, when people buy cheap, but there are a lot of people who buy a lot of cheap and they do not save money. Whereas you could buy the one thing that costs more and you end up saving more than the person who's always buying cheap. And, I also feel that, you know, what is life if you cannot enjoy it after you have worked so hard, you've done all these things, you're on track, you are not sacrificing your goals to buy whatever you're buying. And it's not just handbags. Everybody has a different thing that they they like. Um, You're helping your family, you're giving back. What is life if you cannot treat yourself, right? What is life if you cannot enjoy the fruit of your labor at some point? Um, So it's a fine balance between, you know, the mentality, especially when you, you you don't come from a place where you, you don't come from a rich background, which neither of us come from. And it's also a struggle when you, you think about, okay, am I, should I feel guilty? I feel guilty about buying this, this, that, but I think you have to get to a point where you find your own balance and you just acknowledge that. You've done well and just pat yourself on the back because a lot of times people will not do it for you. They won't give you the pat on the back. They will not make you feel good about what you have or what you've done. It'll never be enough for them. (laughs) So you have to do it for yourself.
1: Yeah, I 100% agree. And I don't think it's, I still struggle sometimes with the wealth guilt. You know, Um, I mentioned that we got on this financial path in 2016. I've mentioned how much we are now saving and investing just about every month. I mean, in 2020, in the middle of a pandemic, my husband and I were lucky enough that we did not lose our jobs. But so much of our regular Uh, monthly expenses was just reduced we weren't going to the movies we weren't going to concerts we didn't travel so there was a lot of extra money flowing around and one of the things that we did was invested into the market and so in 2020 in the middle of a pandemic it was our highest savings and investing year ever right and so it's like there was a point that I would have used that extra money to shop on Amazon, right? I didn't need Mm -hmm. to go to a store. I could just (laughs) go to Amazon or go to any, you know, the plethora of stores that are out there and online cards, but it's about being intentional about making sure that all of your goals are taken care of, because I do think that, as you mentioned, there is this balance. Sometimes we want to reward ourselves for working hard without taking care of the things that are important. And that is where I will say it's like, you no, know, make sure that you're taking care of the most important things. And if you're taking care of the most important things, then please don't have any guilt about being able to treat yourself. And you know, when I mentioned I, I started to say that um even now I sometimes have to talk myself out of wealth guilt because we have had this plan of investing and saving for the last few years and our portfolio has grown quite a bit. Like we we have uh close to over $800,000 in just investment portfolio.
0: I love it. <laughs> I love well, it. I love e- the intention.
1: But even with that, it's a little scary because now I'm like, well, what are people going to think? Like am I relatable, right? It's like even w- with you like you you shared your story of saving a hundred thousand dollars. And it was like, yeah, right. That's not possible.
0: You are relatable because you can share your story because you're a human being, because you are a, a regular woman, right? If people can relate to Kim Kardashian and Beyonce, <laughs> right? The uber wealthy, they can relate to, <laughs> to yeah, you. I so though, I, I think a lot of times when people have, um, When people have, uh, what's the word? When they, they have this, they can't accept what it is that you've done. It's not about you. It's not about what you've done. It's not about how you've done it. It's not about your hard work. It has everything to do with them and their limited mindsets in terms of what they believe they can accomplish for themselves and why they think it's completely unfeasible for somebody like you to do it. And that's what I have found when you talk about wealth, when you talk about wealth building. um, And I always tell people, not everybody's story is going to be relatable, but you can take something from them that might be relevant to you and apply it to your own journey to create your own story. I read so many books by so many incredibly wealthy people where my entire life savings is a drop in the bucket for them. Does that mean that they're, you know, like, oh my God, yeah, right. No, I am inspired by those people. I'm motivated by those people. I may not be able to relate to everything they talk about, but there's nuggets in their stories that have been incredibly impactful in my own life. And so there's always value in somebody else's story. And so, you know, whoever's don't even worry about not being relatable. You know, like I said, you're sharing your story and it's going to inspire another woman out there who's listening, who's like, oh, wait a minute. I'm making a hundred K. I just, I just paid off, you know, this debt I have, I now have a few hundred dollars, at the end of my pay- my paycheck, after I pay my expenses, oh, wow, I can do what Mrs. Miller said to reduce my taxable income. I can look at saving and investing. I can start working on my scarcity mindset. You are going to impact someone because your story, the fact that you've gotten there as a woman, as a Latina, as a woman of color, that's a big deal. So, you know, I'm on my <laughs> soapbox right now. <laughs> no, but this but is- Like I said, I'm, I'm all about empowering women um, because we're minimized all the time. Like mm-hmm. you cannot go on social media and see a successful woman that somebody in the comments will not attribute or someone will not share and say, oh, who's her sugar daddy? Who's her rich boyfriend? What did she have to do to get there? Oh, this Oh, that. There's there's always a reason that people use to justify a woman's success other than the fact that she worked hard and she's successful because she worked hard. Accept that.
1: I love it. Absolutely. I mean, it is one of those things. It's also like there's intention behind it too, right? It's not just because as you've said, and I think sometimes I try to minimize it, but New York City is very expensive, right? It is
0: expensive.
1: Uh, (laughs) I don't live far away from you. (laughs) Right, right. And it's like super expensive. And there are people who make way more money than we do. And are still living paycheck to paycheck because they they have either not really figured out the power of investing. Um, they haven't decided on what their priorities are. And that's really it. Like for me, for a long time, my definition of success was proven, I guess you could say, by the amount of stuff that I had. And that was a very skewed viewpoint and I think a lot of people will attribute success to what they own or you know what they have in their closet or what you know whatever the thing is um, and I had to really have a mindset shift about that and really say like is this really important to me is having a closet full of shoes you know that I probably only wear the same four <laughs> over and over again but I have 50 or 60 pairs of shoes. What you know what where where's my value? Where's my priority? And I am definitely not a minimalist. I think some people might say that I'm frugal. I don't really think that I'm frugal. I'm like I just don't spend money on the things that I don't care about. The other day I was having um a dinner with my family for the first time in a very long time and one of my sisters says, "Oh my god, her iPhone still has the button." And I'm like <laughs> what? Like it's, it works just this fine. Like, leave me alone. Like I could pay for a cell phone if I wanted to, um, but it just, it doesn't matter to me.
0: Yeah. I, I'm like you, there's some things that even if it was one cent, I'm not going to buy. I just can't do it. But I mean, there's other things that I will spend a lot of money on because I tie value to them. So frugal is good. Right. Especially right. if you can be frugal in the places that don't really matter so that you can splurge and live and give in the areas that do. So, Mrs. Miller, this has been such a great conversation. Um, What advice would you give to anyone listening? They have a great job. They have a great income. They're fortunate in that regard. But... They're just not saving. They're living paycheck to paycheck. And, you know, what tips and advice would you give? So you talked about 2020 being a year of highest savings for you. But I do know, based on many conversations that I've had, that 2020 was a year of highest spending for many people who were fortunate to still have jobs, you know, and were able to cut their expenses because they were not commuting. They were not going out to eat, traveling, et cetera, but they were still spending a ton of money because they found ways to repurpose that savings into retail therapy or indulging in self care and et cetera, et cetera. So what advice would you give someone who's kind of like at this place where like, okay, I have, I'm earning money. I know I can save. What can I do?
1: Yeah, you know, the steps are pretty simple, but it is very, very hard. It's not easy, right? Like we all know what we need to do in order to get uh, physically fit, right? There's the YouTube videos, there's the free recipes online, but it's not easy to stick to it. And I think it's the same thing with our finances. I think most of us know what we should be doing Um, It's pretty simple, but it's not easy. And I think the first thing that you need to decide on, and I know it sounds a little woo-woo, but until you have a really strong why, until you really know what your goals are, and I'm not talking about, okay, well, I just want to get out of debt. Why do you want to get out of debt? What would that mean to you? What would that feel like? Um, You want to save money. Why? You know. Um, Rather than okay because I want to travel like where do you like make sure you are as clear as possible Um, you know setting those smart goals right being very specific about what that goal looks like Um, take a look at what you're um, prioritizing Um, and it's not about eliminating everything it's not about saying no to a million things it's about saying yes to one thing. You know, and that one thing could be financial wellness. That one thing could be, you know, uh, leaving your cubicle job and then turning to entrepreneurship. It could be being a stay-at-home mom. It could be retiring early. It could be retiring your parents. It could be building a legacy for your uh, little ones. Um, So really understanding and getting very clear about what your short-term goals are But also what the bigger picture is, I think if you have a clear picture of that, it makes it a little bit easier to save because saving just for the sake of saving is a little hard. And then the second thing that I would say is understand the power of compound interest. You don't need to save a million dollars, right? I think I did the calculation and it would take like $20,000 a year for 50 years if you just saved, But if you invested, you would use a lot less of your own money and let money work for itself. Understand those two things and you will be golden.
0: I love it. So before I let you go, you have to tell everyone what is your Clever Girl superpower?
1: Okay, so we've talked a lot about... (laughs) shopping Um, but I would say I think my clever girl superpower is finding a good deal Um, whether it's going you know uh, we traveled to Ireland for two whole weeks that was the longest vacation we've ever taken Um, I made sure that we stayed at the best Irish castles and the best (laughs) Airbnbs but um, but doing it affordably. So I feel like my superpower is doing the things that I love, even if it's luxurious things at a cheap and affordable price. That's my superpower.
0: I love that. And I'm with you on that travel part. Like if I'm going to travel across the world, I need to be comfortable. I cannot backpack. I'm just not that person. I need to stay in the five-star hotel <laughs> right? and know that I'm getting my money's worth luxury. (laughs) Wrap me in it.
1: (laughs) I love it. I mean, you know, and I will say that there were, so we, we went to Ireland for two weeks and there were some days that we stayed at a small bed and breakfast, but, and then we also stayed at really nice places. And so it's finding that luxury. Um, You know, back in the day, I would stay at hostels when I was younger. I'm over that already. I don't (laughs) want to stay at a hostel. So yeah, again, it's about finding that balance, but I think that I tend to find really good deals to do the things that I love um, and do it without
0: guilt. <laughs> awesome. And finally, how can folks learn more about you, read your blog, keep in touch, etc.
1: I am most active on Instagram and that is at Mrs. Miller on fire, but you can also uh, find me at millersonfire.com or even on the clever girl <laughs> blog. I, I write over there as well.
0: And we'll be ensuring to to include all that information in the show notes, as well as that blog um, article that you wrote as well on reducing your taxable income. Thank you so much for your time. This was such a great conversation.
1: Ola, thank you so much uh, for having me. I love your mission and what you're doing. It's really incredibly inspiring.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you've loved the episode, but you don't yet subscribe to the podcast, you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes and head on over to iTunes and leave a review so other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. Thank you so much for being here and I'll talk to you on the next episode.